For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ... We have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May he bless the reading and preaching of his word. There is a common belief amongst Christians where we affirm the saying that says, life is precious. We believe that the Bible teaches this very thing. We believe this not only because of all of our attachments in this life, like family, friends, and possessions, but because God is the one who gave us this life and all of its enjoyments. This life was once lived in a harmonious fellowship with God before sin entered the world. But since sin entered, there has been a break in this life. This life was meant to be lived in fellowship with God, and now there has been a break. That break can be described as death. Death was introduced. Death is the final enemy that every man will face. And death is the evil outcome of evil. For the wages of sin is death. And that death is not just physical. It is also spiritual. And death is so horrible, not because we cease to live 
on this earth, but because we are cut off from a gracious fellowship with God and face the wrath of God eternally. So how can death be turned around? Much like today, people are asking, how do we get back to a normal life again? What most people should be asking is, how do we have life again, period? Because the life we live now falls far short if it is not a life in a loving fellowship with God. But there is good news in the midst of nothing but bad news. The root word for good news is the same as the root word for words like evangelical and evangelism. And that word for good news is translated as the gospel. Because that is all evangelicals do when we evangelize. We bring good news or good tidings to the world. That's why we call it the gospel. This is the news that was carried by the apostles in order that churches would be planted. And this news continues to spread to this very day. And this is the news that Paul carries to this Corinthian church as he has been calling them to live in light of this gospel. Because it is this good news, this gospel that frees us to live as Christians. What else can give us liberty? But the news that we have already been liberated from the bondage and chains of sin and death. But now the question for us is, do we believe this gospel? Because if we don't believe this gospel, there is no life for us beyond what we have here. There is no hope. But if you do believe, Paul lays out four things here for us to consider this morning. First, how do we believe? Secondly, what do we believe? Thirdly, who can believe? And fourthly, why we believe? First, how do we come to believe? What are the means used so that we may believe? As I've said, that Paul carried this message to the Corinthians. But how did he carry that message? Well, he, he followed in the footsteps of the Lord. What did the Lord Jesus Christ do when he began his ministry right after he was tempted by Satan? He preached. He went into the synagogues and preached. And so did Paul in Corinth where he met with Aquila and Priscilla. It says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks through what? Preaching. Though many Jews rejected the message, some believed. And it says, many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. This is how this Corinthian church was formed. It was formed through the preaching of the gospel. Yes, we, we still have one-on-one conversations and one-on-one evangelism. But preaching is the primary or what we call the ordinary means of communicating God's grace in the gospel. It is not a two-way street like a conversation. One preaches 
And the listeners either receive or reject the message. And this church has been going through much strife, which included their own sins. There were divisions over gifts, sexual immorality, idolatry, a lack of love for one another, especially when approaching the Lord's Supper. In other words, they were ignoring the body of Christ when they approached the Lord's Supper. So you could say they were a messed up group of people. Yet he says they received the gospel that was preached. They stood in the gospel and it is by this gospel that they were being saved. But there is a stipulation here. Or a condition. And that condition, it says, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. There are many churches today who claim to be Christian, yet they have left the truth of the Word of God. So, by conclusion uh, that we can draw from this text, they will not be saved. They reject the fact that sin is an offense to God. And they reject the truth that sin results in spiritual death. If they reject these basic truths, then they reject the solution, which Paul states here. Because, by all appearances, it looks like the Corinthians believed in vain by the way they were acting and living. They were living as if there was nothing beyond this mortal life. They were living as if the gospel of Jesus Christ had no effect on their thinking and lifestyle. There was a a recent news article about a a musician who complained that he was deeply hurt growing up by the church due to hatred and bigotry. Uh, I'm not denying the fact that churches do mess up from time to time in their relationship to people. But what led me to question this musician and his story is that he himself is a professing homosexual. And he's a supporter of the transgender and LGBTQ uh, community and movement. So my conclusion was that what he wants is, is not the acceptance of him as a sinner in need of God's grace, but he wanted the church to accept his sin. He wanted the church to deny the fact that homosexuality is sin and it is offense to God. What he wants is for the church to deny the changing of one's biological identity as a distortion of God's creation. In other words... He wants the church to deny the truth. He wants the church to deny the truth of sin and that it leads to death. The truth that the reason for all the chaos and the true hatred in the world is because of sin. Calling out sin for what it is and telling people when they are wrong is not hatred. It is not bigotry. 
I thank the Lord for all the people that have been putting my life in. And we should thank the Lord for all the people put in our lives who tell us when we are wrong. And this is what Paul has been doing throughout this entire letter. Most of this letter has been telling the Corinthian church that they are wrong. That they are in sin. And denying the word of truth is the reason why our society has been falling apart. If we deny the problem, we deny the solution. Here, we have a solution. Because what do we need when everything is falling apart around us? What do we need when death is looming? What do we need when all news is bad news in our society and in our own personal lives due to sin? What do we need? What does the church need? We need to be reminded of the gospel. So Paul does just that. But what is this gospel? What is the good news? What is it that we believe? Today we have a lot of preachers, not just in churches, but behind podiums all across the country, trying to tell us that they can save us. But are they truly preaching the true gospel? How many are preaching this gospel? So what is this gospel that can save sinners? He reminds them of what he delivered to them as a first in order of importance. What is foundational for all Christians to believe. This is a confession. Just like when we confess the Apostles' Creed this morning. These are the fundamental truths of what we believe as Christians. If we don't believe this, we're not Christians. We're not believers. This is also what he received from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. The Bible teaches us the good news that we may have life. Everlasting life with God. And this life can only come by death. How ironic. The death of the one who's known as the suffering servant of Isaiah, who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. That is the death of the one Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. But it is through his death that brought us peace with God. That's why this past Friday is traditionally called Good Friday. Because something good came out of something so evil. The death and murder of the Son of God. As I've said before, the cross is the center of Christianity. In order for us to have life, He had to die for us as an atonement for sin. But that is not all. It says that He was buried That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is what we are being reminded of today. We are being reminded that Christ lives today. And that he reigns with his father in heaven. There is no resurrection without the cross. And so there is no cross without the resurrection. 
They go together. If there is only the cross, so what? If the cross is it, so what? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for death? Sin has been conquered at the cross, but what about death? Sin is one problem, death is the other. If the cross is the center, then the resurrection is the climax. With the resurrection and exaltation of Christ, the gospel is now complete. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is what we are called to believe. This is the gospel. This is the answer to all of our problems. Sin, sickness, chaos, death. Now Paul doesn't leave the argument there. He gives us proof. He doesn't just say, well, you you have to believe it because I was sent from God. No, this is the way false teachers tend to preach. He gives them evidence. He presents the evidence that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Because there will be skeptics. There were false teachers spreading lies about the resurrection. That we will not be raised and Christ was not raised bodily. That he was only raised spiritually. There are skeptics today. There there are people who are skeptical that Jesus even existed. And there are false teachers in churches today who deny the very truth that Christ was raised bodily. In the flesh. The same flesh that we have now. But there is evidence. If you have a court case today... The average number of witnesses you would need is probably between two or three. And with two or three witnesses, you can either win or lose a case. Here, there are over 500 witnesses of the risen and living Jesus Christ. That should be an open and shut case. There has never been a historical event with more evidence and with this many witnesses who saw the appearing of Jesus Christ after he was killed, wrapped up, and buried in a tomb. And who were these witnesses? Well, they're not the cleanest group of men, to say the least. They were not the elites who have all knowledge and yet they reject the truth. He lists them as follows. He mentions Cephas or Simon Peter who himself was a mess. He denied Jesus Christ three times and later on he denied fellowship with the Gentiles. Then he appears to the twelve disciples right after as they were all doubtful. Then he appears to five hundred brothers, some alive and some have fallen asleep, resting and waiting for the return of Christ. Then it says here he appeared to James believed to be Jesus' younger brother. And this is the event where he appeared to all of the apostles in the upper room eight days after the resurrection. Just in case they were still doubting, he appeared to them twice. 
This is the event when Jesus came to the poster boy of doubt. Good old Doubting Thomas. Who once said, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So what happened? Jesus stood among the disciples and said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. What a gracious Savior. If it was me, considering the sinner that I am, I would have said, your loss. But no, he came to him in the flesh. Like, you don't believe? Well, here I am. In the case of the 500 plus who doubted, here I am. And he's going to do this again. This time the entire world, including those who have died before us, will be witnesses to this. You don't believe? Well, here I am. How did Thomas respond? The only way he could... He called out to him and confessed him as his Lord and his God. He wasn't using the Lord's name in vain, no. He would have been rebuked. He answered, my Lord and my God. Because my God is standing here right before me in the flesh. Echoing Job who said, in my flesh I shall see God. The resurrection proved it. That he was his God. Then Paul ends this list with the last of all, the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, one who was untimely born. What he means is one, in, in the strict translation, one who is an abortion, one who wasn't worthy of life itself because he persecuted. The church. You think you're bad. Well this guy. Approved of the execution of Christians. And he dragged them to prison. Being the mediator of their death. There were no such thing as fair trials back in those days. For Christians. But. He says. By the grace of God. I am what I am. And his grace toward me. Was not in vain. This helps us to answer, who can believe? Who can believe? Well, we know God chooses those to believe, but who can believe as far as their character, as far as their background? Who can believe? Anyone. Anyone. No matter your past or present condition, you can believe, you can be saved. You say, well, I'm not worthy to be saved. I'm not worthy to be raised from the dead and live with God eternally. Well, No one is, including this preacher. No one is worthy. It is by the grace of God. This is the humility of the Christian, recognizing that life, 
Everlasting life is a gift of God. It is by God's grace. We cannot earn it. And in fact, not only does he save us from sin and death, he says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Speaking of the apostles, though it was not I, but by the grace of God that is with with me. So not only does God save the worst of sinners, but he also changes them. He makes them useful, working for and serving his purposes. And he does this with all Christians. Whether then it was I or they, doesn't matter. So we preach and so you believed. He used these flawed apostles, sinners, saved by grace. To preach the gospel of the risen Christ. Because their doubts by this point have been eliminated. As they saw with their eyes, looked upon and touched with their hands the living and risen Jesus Christ. And God's grace was with them. And it is through this gospel that all types of people come to believe, no matter your background, no matter your sin, you name it, you can believe and be saved from sin and death. Because the truth is, there will be a resurrection of the dead. Where unbelievers will be judged. And believers will be saved from judgment of death and hell. But just like back then, today there are false teachers spreading lies that there is no resurrection of the dead. And in in the midst of suffering and chaos, the Christian can easily fall for these lies. This is the question that many people struggle with, and that is, why do we believe? Well, the truly pious people will say, well, God predestined that I would. But why do you believe? That is a question. Why do you believe? God has written eternity in the hearts of men. This is why all people want to live forever. It is not a bad desire. And the truth is, we know we will live forever. But the question is where? Where will we be? God has promised us throughout the Old Testament that the kingdom of the son of David would last forever. Not only that, but he also promised life everlasting. That is the hope of the Christian. That is our desire. Everlasting life with God. But if we deny that there is a resurrection from the dead, then we are denying the truth of God that is written in every man's heart. And the truth of God comes from the scriptures. If there is no resurrection, Paul gives us five consequences to think about. First, if there is no resurrection from the dead, that means Christ was never raised. And if Christ was never raised, then preaching is in vain. He's going back to his beginning point. Paul and the apostles were preaching the gospel. And they were witnesses to the resurrection of Christ. They planted churches based on this truth. If it is not true that there is no resurrection. Then I'm up here preaching for nothing. 
Preaching in general is for nothing. There should be no more preaching if there is no resurrection of the dead. Because this means there is no gospel to be preached. What good news would we have? The world should be in despair by all appearances when we look around. If there is no resurrection from the dead. Because the gospel that we preach is about Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And He is declared to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. And what we do here as a church would be for nothing if it wasn't for that truth. We're not just here in in Lisbon to do good things and to be nice to our neighbors. Yes, we do do good things and we're nice to our neighbors. But that is only because of God's word and spirit telling us about what is coming. There are plenty of humanitarian churches around. Who do good, nice things in the community. There are plenty of community activists. Who only care about the here and the now. But the question is, what do you believe about life after death? Do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? And so do you believe that you will be resurrected? Because what we do as a church must be grounded in the truth. Of this. That we will be raised. Secondly. If there is no resurrection. If Christ was not raised. Then we will not be raised. And our faith. Is in vain. Not only would the preaching be in vain. But our faith would be. If there is no resurrection from the dead. Then the entire Christian life. Is pointless. It is vain. Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we even pray? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. And if it never happened, then our faith is in vain. Unbelievers have faith for a lot of vain reasons. I was once told by a friend who was trying to dismiss my faith in Christ, By saying, his faith was in his family. That's where he put all of his faith in. Well, he ended up losing his family because of his sin. They left him. Who would we turn to now? If we were like Job, who lost everything. Where would our faith be? Where is our hope placed? I've actually heard a preacher once say that even if there is no God and no resurrection from the dead, if we live by the morality of the Bible, then at least we live good lives. But as sinners, we cannot accept that logic. We wouldn't be able to accept that logic. Because without the resurrection, there is no moral life for the Christian. Everything we do is grounded in and moving in this direction. The resurrection and seeing Christ, our Savior, face to face. 
Thirdly, the preacher would be made out to be a liar, misrepresenting God. And the fact that over 500 witnesses saw a risen Christ in the flesh. In fact, it would be to deny reality because he just told us that this happened. And this is the preacher's message that God has commissioned the preacher to preach. If we're not preaching this message, then we're not truly preaching and we're misrepresenting God. We're not here to preach politics. We're not here to preach a hopeless social moralism that is disconnected from eternity. We preach the gospel of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Fourthly, if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, meaning it's useless, devoid of truth and force, and you are still in your sins. Remember, He was raised for our justification. When God looks at us, we are either in Christ, Or we're in our sins. Those are the only two groups of people there are in this world. There are not all these other categories that people list. Muslim, Jew, this, that, the other. No. You're either in your sins or you're in Christ. Without the resurrection, our sins are still held against us. They have not been taken away. And we are still in our sins and not raised with Christ. If Christ was not raised, then all those who died before us have perished and we too will one day perish in hell forever. In other words, again, there's no good news here if that's the case. And finally, what would that make us? Again, why do we believe? We believe because we have been given a a hope of everlasting life with God through Jesus Christ. Many put all of their hopes only in in this life and in this world. What will they achieve? What their children will achieve? What their grandchildren will achieve? Which are all good things to hope for. But they forget that there is more to life than that. Where will they all be for eternity? If there is no resurrection, he says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The world already pities us. They persecute us. They think Christians are misled, that we are part of a cult that is drinking too much spiked Kool-Aid. They discredit us when we speak. But Paul says that's not a problem. The problem is, if there is no resurrection, then we are of all people most to be pitied. That is how important this truth is. This is the driving force of all Christianity. Once you remove it, Christianity is lost in the world of self-righteousness and moral competition. And our faith in Christ would be brought to no end. People can drive by and ask, what are they celebrating for? 
We can ask ourselves, why endure persecution? Why endure all this suffering? Why not the easy road? We know these 500 plus men, most of them suffered and died for this. Because there was, in fact, the truth is that Christ was raised. Paul made this argument not to tell us to have blind faith, but the opposite. He is saying this to oppose the false teaching. And for Christians to, to never say that Christ was never raised. The good news is that Christ was raised. It is the gospel of the resurrection. And we can place our hope in that. That is why we are celebrating this day. You can fact check me later when he returns. This is the fact. He has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He went first so that we can follow. Christ is undoing the old order of this world. Where sin and death reigns. This old order where Adam is our representative. He is undoing that order and bringing a new order where He, Christ, is our representative. Where He has come to give us life to our dead bodies when we finally rest. This is our hope. This is why we believe. This is the hope of all Christians. Believing in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. This is the hope that we will one day physically see Christians from all ages, family, friends, loved ones we have lost. And most importantly, that we will see Christ our Lord face to face in new bodies, new physical bodies that He will make for us. The world knows and hates this truth. Because if we are grounded in the fact that Christ was raised and that we too will be raised from the dead to live with God eternally, there is nothing that the world can do to us. This is what drove the early church. This is why they were all slaughtered. Because they rested in this truth. And the world would not be able to stop the work of God. In the lives of those who believe. They would not be able to control. What we say. They will not be able to silence. The gospel. And those who believe in the resurrection of the dead. This is why Christianity has threatened worldly governments from her beginning. But the question is for us. How will we respond? Are we prepared to respond to a doubting world that doubts the truth of God, the truth of sin, the truth of death, the truth of the judgment, the truth of the resurrection of the dead to be judged? 
Are we prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that is in us? And what is that hope? The hope of a new life with God in His kingdom, the kingdom of His Son. Amen.